Well, good morning, Christ Chapel, and hello to all of you streaming with us. Hello to the Hive, West Campus, uh, South Campus, uh, everybody that's joining us in worship. Uh, so excited, and thank you to all of you who stepped up to be baptized uh, today. Uh, what an incredible encouragement that is to the Christ Chapel family and to so many uh, to, to know that we are uh, joining forces with those who are standing up, identifying, saying, uh, I stand with Jesus and we stand uh, with you. So thank you so much for making that decision uh, public. I want to take you back quickly to the 1960s. Uh, some of you are scared right now. You're like, whoa, where are we going? No, not, uh, in the 1960s, there was a phrase that was introduced that we still repeat today. There's a phrase that was introduced was to help children, and that phrase was stranger danger. You've heard this phrase before. Uh, it was to help make children aware of the potential dangers there were in interacting or engaging with those folks that they didn't know. You know, they, you wanted to instill this and, and get this into your child's mind uh, that strangers could potentially be dangerous so that they weren't, you know, enticed by, uh, you know, a sticker or something into an unknown person's car. Now, ironically, today, uh, depending upon the sticker on the car, we get into cars with strangers all the time. You see the Uber sticker and you're like, yeah, pick me up, you know? But it's still a good lesson for us to teach our children today that strangers can be dangerous. But I will tell you, growing up and for my time in the ministry, that I have found strangers to be less dangerous than anger. Anger is something that is far more dangerous than the times that we interact with strangers. We still teach our boys stranger danger, but if you uh, looked at studies today, statistics tell us that people are more angry today than they have been in the past 15 years. Uh, that's according to a Gallup poll that was done worldwide, but honestly, do we need statistics? You, you really don't need statistics. I mean, how many of you have seen a, a video online of fights on airplanes, okay? How many of you have seen videos of fights of people in fast food chain restaurants? I don't think they're arguing over the best chicken sandwich. How many of you have uh, experienced, seen, may I ask, even been a part of road rage? It's, it's crazy. I just saw on the news this past week in DFW, a person was murdered because they were too far over and a car was trying to enter into an apartment complex uh, parking lot. Murdered. Th this, is, this is just crazy stuff that is going on in our world. In, in the craziest places where you would think, there's no way that, that this, this anger should be coming out in a McDonald's, it's nuts. But what's even more appalling to me personally is that although I have not done any of these things that I know of recently, I haven't gotten into fist fights on an airplane or at Chick-fil-A or anything like that, but what scares me is I think about it. I have flashes sometimes where I, you know, I, I'm at the airport and they call for, you know, group one and the person who has group six steps up like they are going to get in line and get on that plane and I want to push them. <laughs> I do. 
that's not good. But I don't know why I'm personally offended because I'm in group, you know, five. And, and I'm going to get on before they do. But I just feel like there's some sort of injustice in them getting up there. I mean, I'll get, a, you know, a hamburger at some place, and it has mayonnaise on there. And you guys know I do not do mayonnaise. And I'll have a flash of just throwing it back at the person. And I'm like, why? Why do I think this stuff? Or, you know, somebody wants to merge way too close to you, and I'm like, I'm just going to keep going. I, I, I just want to rear-end you, you know? Those, those thoughts come across my mind. And if you were looking for a church with a perfect pastor, I'm sorry, this is not the place for you. Um, good luck finding one, though. But those thoughts cross my mind, and that scares me. And, and here's why. Because what we see on those videos or the headlines we read in the news, all we're seeing is the boiling point of anger. We're seeing that person's pot explode. But guess what? All the ingredients that are in their pot that got turned up, we have in our own heart-shaped pot as well. And if the circumstances are just right and the heat gets turned up just enough, we could explode as well. Because we have those same ingredients of ego and irritability and annoyance, and those things that we just allow to stay on simmer. And if things go just right, we might just snap. That's a scary thing. Anger is a dangerous thing to flirt with, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. Uh, We're going to continue our series Upside Down where we're specifically looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, we're marching our way through the the Gospel of Matthew because we want to take an in-depth look at Jesus this next year because we want to embody his heart to be his disciples, make disciples, and reach the 800,000 in our own backyard who do not know or walk with Jesus. And that's why we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to continue in our series, this Upside Down. And just to take you back very quickly, remember we started with the B attitudes that his citizens embody and embrace a different kind of attitude than the rest of the world. And then we are told that we should be salt and light, preservatives or light in the darkness, bringing hope to a, a lost or, or dark world. But we, were gonna, we have to do that. We're, we're salt and we're light in our own world, in our own spheres, in a different way than religious people thought that it was supposed to be lived out back in those times. That being salt and light doesn't just mean uh, going by all the rules and following all the rules. And Jesus said last week that he came not to abolish those rules, but actually to fulfill them. And all the way down to the last jot and tittle, to the very finest details of the law. And he said the way that we were going to be salt and light in our world was to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, who were the Billy Grahams and Mother Teresas of their day. And we realize we can't do that. We need Christ's righteousness to be able to live the life that he wants us to live. 
And now he's about to go into a section where he's going to say, you definitely need Christ's righteousness to live as a citizen of his kingdom and affect our world for good, being salt and light, because it's different than just following the rules. It goes far, far deeper. And he's going to introduce these very Monday morning ideas of treating others differently or living out Christ's righteousness in different ways in very applicable areas of our lives. And he's going to do this by setting all of these Monday morning relevant ideas with a a particular phrase. And the phrase is, Jesus is going to be saying, you've heard it said, but I tell you. He uses this phrase six times throughout this section. And I'm telling you that because you need to understand this phrase. You've heard it said is he's going to reference the the law, the, the Old Testament things that he says. You've heard it said, follow the rules. But I'm going to tell you, living at a, as a citizen of Jesus, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that runs much deeper I tell you, this is the way you're called to live, to be salt and light in our world. And Jesus is going to go for the cause, not just the effect. He's going to go for the heart, not just the behavior, because we've got to change the heart. Remember, Jesus even tells us uh, later on, he says this specifically, I remember in Luke chapter 6, he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of, out of the heart is what, what bears fruit. That, uh, the heart affects our behavior. Belief affects our behavior. So that's why he's going after the heart. Not, not just going through the motions. You've heard it said, go through the motions. I tell you. And certainly Jesus is giving himself and calling himself authoritative. Remember, this is, there are hints of this that go back to Moses getting the law on Mount Sinai. And it starts off in Matthew chapter 5 here that Jesus is on the mount. So he is authoritative, and he's going after the way that the Pharisees had interpreted the law. They've interpreted it incorrectly. They thought it was just about external behaviors. Jesus says, no, the correct interpretation of what God wants for you affects your heart. And the first one he's going to go after, the interpretation, is the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments, and it's thou shall not murder. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the danger of anger. I want to tell you why it's dangerous. What Jesus is going for is the heart. And I want to tell you why it's dangerous, because we are all far too content to let anger simmer in our heart. We, we, We allow it to sit and to settle. And I want you to understand why it's angry and what we're supposed to do about it. I want to give you some, hopefully, some very practical things uh, that go far beyond that, that Seinfeld episode where Frank Costanza goes, Serenity Now! If any of you have ever seen that, uh, as Lloyd Braun says, Serenity Now and Sanity Later. So it doesn't work just to chant these mantras and things like that. So we're going to talk about why anger is dangerous and what you're supposed to do about it. So let's look at the first one. Anger is dangerous because it conceives an intent to kill. Anger is dangerous because it conceives an intent to kill. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you that one of the things that I've been praying for you this week is as we go through this Sermon on the Mount, uh, it is going to take you coming with an open heart, a self-awareness and a sensitivity to others. 
That is what I've been praying for you this week and that's what my prayer will be as we go throughout this because if you're not open to hearing what God says to you, let me just go ahead and tell you, anger will kill you. And so I've prayed that your heart would be open to hear from the Holy Spirit from his word today so that it helps you and helps those around you. So as soon as I read this first point of it conceives an intent to kill, you need to be open to hear that, and I'll, I'll explain why. Don't write it off already and say, I don't, I don't really uh, relate to this. I think we can all relate to this. Look at verses 21 and 22. Uh, Jesus says, you've heard it, that it was said, this is, goes back to that phrase that we set up that we'll see in subsequent weeks. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. That's the sixth commandment of the 10 commandments. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Of course, if, you're, if you murder somebody, you're gonna go to court. That's what he's talking about. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or obviously with his sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister, they'll be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Some very strong words. If you heard it said, just don't murder. Because if you murder, then you'll go to, you'll, you'll face judgment. But I tell you, you're going to face judgment strictly by what you think. Strictly by what you feel. You're liable to judgment with those flashes and those thoughts of road rage or throwing a hamburger back at somebody. All of those things. He goes after the internal heart. And the way that he sets this up is he tells them, we we know this, that there is no court for motives. I mean, what, what the courts judge are behaviors, You behaved in this way. Now, certainly they look for a motive after the behavior. But what he's saying is your motives should be judged just as strictly as the behaviors. That's what he's saying here. That's why he sets it up. And he says that if you should not murder, but I tell you, anyone who is angry is liable to judgment. Anger is the the root cause of murder. It conceives and intent to kill. And this word that is here for anger, it literally means to swell up with poison. That's what it means. And that's why I said anger conceives an intent to kill because it starts as poison, but it swells up. It boils over and it boils over onto other people. And he gives those examples here. He says, if you insult your, your brother or your sister, that word insult is if you call them raka, R-A-C-A was an Arabic word. And what it basically meant was uh, empty-headed. Uh, our boys love watching uh, Elf every Christmas. And it's like when Elf calls himself a cotton-headed ninny muggins, you know? Uh, it's, a, it's an empty head, but it's this uh, verbal uh, abuse in a sense. It's this name calling. You are calling someone else uh, empty headed. Uh, uh, You're not smart. You're unintelligent. But you're saying that out loud. He says uh, that you would be subject to uh, judgment, subject to the council that may have been the Sanhedrin, a, a group made up of 70 men. It would have been like the religious supreme court of the Jews of that day. 
And then he goes on and he says, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The word uh, fool there uh, is actually the Greek word uh, more, M-O-R-E, where we get our word moron from. And I don't know if you've ever called somebody a moron. Um, I have. Um, not to their face, but I've thought it. This is, I'm telling you, I have a problem. I, I have a, this is why this passage is as much for me as it is for anybody else. This is where, this is where that anger swells up. And you say, moron. It's a, and the reason why, let me just go ahead and put, put some of your fears at ease. Because some of you have been taught that if you've said fool, that you're going to hell. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is, if you are as quick to write someone off as a fool, the fool being, if you go back to Proverbs, the fool is always the foil for the person who walks with God. It's always the contrast. And the one who walks with God, obviously, is in his righteous ways. The fool is destined for hell. And what he's saying here is, if you are as quick to write someone off as a moron or a fool, as basically condemning them to hell, then you might be in danger of it yourself. And the word that he uses here is Gehenna, which was basically the trash dump south of Jerusalem. If you haven't been to Israel, you need to go. We'll show you where it's like. We're going this summer. Sign up. But it's basically where they burned all the refuse of the city, place that that was constantly on fire. It was awful, it was dirty, it stunk, it, it was terrible. That's, what he, that's the picture that he gives here of hell. And he says, if you've done anything like this, you're liable to judgment. It's not just if you actually physically murder someone, he takes it deeper and he goes to the cause. Why? Because it conceives an intent to kill. Now, all of you, I hope right now, are patting yourselves on the back because you haven't literally murdered anyone. I hope. But there are many ways in which we kill people figuratively all the time. Because you can kill someone figuratively without killing them literally. Think about it. I wrote down some examples here. You can kill people's confidence with an outburst, with an insult. Man, how many people, um, let, me, let me say this real fast to, to parents. Parents, be careful how you talk to your children. And you, you know that maybe because of the way that your parents talk to you. We've got to be careful how we talk to people Go back to James chapter three. The tongue can be a dangerous, dangerous thing. And we can kill people's confidence. We can set them on a trajectory strictly by the way that we help them think about themselves by the way that we talk to them. We've got to be, you can kill somebody's future in that that way. We can kill somebody's, another way, we can kill somebody's reputation with gossip. You, you might not do it to their face, but you'll do it behind their back. And you kill somebody's reputation. And man, how, how valuable is that? I'll, I'll never forget, this goes back to the, the crucible. Uh, the, the, you're going, going back to, to literature here. But at the very end, this one guy, you know, it was about the Salem witch trials, and this one guy says, uh, don't take my name. It's all I've got. 
Don't take my reputation. It's all I have. And we can kill people's reputation just by gossiping about them. Or, or another way, you can kill somebody's future opportunities with the power that you possess. You don't, you don't like them, and so you just don't provide opportunities for them that they may deserve, they, they maybe should have them, but you just don't like them, you're angry with them. We can kill people figuratively all the time and still be righteous under the sixth commandment because I have not murdered. Yeah, but you have in these different ways. And that's why Jesus begins to probe at the heart. And I just want to say something quickly about uh, men and women. I know I'm being very stereotypical here, but typically men, we are prone to outbursts. Um, and and sometimes when that's uh, amongst buddies, that, that's okay because you're like, man, I'll just get it out. And then now we're friends, you know, we, we punched each other and now we're done or whatever it is. Um, but that's certainly not a good habit to get into. But we, we outburst. We, we, get, we get those emotional tempers out. That's, that's stereotypical. We, we get it over with in 10 minutes. Gals, you hold on for, to it for 10 years. I do not want to be in a fight with a lady. I, I'm just telling you. Uh, and, and, and this is true for men. I, I know I'm being way over stereotypical. I get it. But man, guys, we play checkers. Ladies, you play chess. You are thinking way far ahead. And you are thinking four and five moves. And we've got to be careful that we, that we deal with this quickly. And, and here, here's, here's the point. It doesn't matter if we're prone to outbursts. That's guys and girls can be prone to outbursts. It doesn't matter if we're chess players holding grudges for 10 years. Guys and girls can both do that. We can't let anger linger because the devil lingers with anger. Don't let anger linger because the devil lingers with anger. You see, if you let anger linger around, it will end up in a bad place. And if you don't believe me, go back to Genesis chapter four. And in Genesis chapter four, I mentioned this last week. Remember, right after Adam and Eve are removed from the garden, they have two boys, Cain and Abel. Cain gets mad at Abel, remember? Do you remember this story? You need to go back and look at it this week because there's so many correlations to things that we're talking about today. And God tells Cain, listen, anger is sitting at your doorstep. You better do something with it. <laughs> because if you don't do something with it, it's liable to get a hold of you and it gets a hold of him and he ends up killing his brother. You see, I think that's one of the reasons why this is the first one that Jesus addresses is because it's the first sin after the garden. He knows how dangerous and deadly it can be and that's why we can't let it linger. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 and 27, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Now I know this sounds like you can be angry. I'll address it in just a second. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Same language that's used there in Genesis chapter four. Don't give, them an don't give the devil an opportunity. Now, the first thing I need to say is 
uh, when it says be angry, there is a category for righteous anger. And some of you claim that, you know, plead the fifth, that was righteous anger all the time, and it probably wasn't righteous anger. And you go, well, hold on. Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers. Okay, how many times in our lives do we really want to be compared to Jesus? Okay, why is that the only one that we want to be compared to him? To give ourselves an out for outbursts, you know? But that's not the, the definition of righteous anger. This is, this is Cody's definition. Righteous anger is when it reacts with compassionate action that benefits someone else, specifically when it involves the dignity of person or the honor of God. That's what righteous anger is. Righteous anger reacts with compassionate action that benefits someone else, specifically when the dignity of a person or honor, or God is, honor of God is at stake. You see, the problem is when we get angry, it's usually not benefiting anybody else, it's benefiting ourselves. And that's why anger is so dangerous, because it claims a place of superiority. We want to take someone out who gets in our way. You're in the way of what I want, and I want to take you out. That, that's essentially what anger is, and that's why he says anger leads to murder. And he says that's why you've got to not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That word opportunity, uh, if you memorized it in the old NIV, it was foothold. What it means is a place. Don't give the devil a place in your heart, a place to play a place to stay. That's where it becomes dangerous because the devil loves to surf on those <laughs> waves of anger. And if we continue to let him crash, man, he's gonna have a blast. And the longer that we give him a place in our heart, the longer that he's gonna sow those seeds of bitterness and bitter seeds grow in the dark. And that's why we've gotta continue to bring those things out into the light with daily confession daily confession with you and the Lord. See, so many times when, when people have read this verse in Ephesians chapter four, don't let the sun go down on your anger, uh, they've related it to, uh, you know, we're supposed to always be in a good spot with the other person. Certainly, that is the goal. But I will tell you, I think what is, is talked about here is you've gotta take your anger to Jesus first. And you've got to let him deal with it. And you've got to confess your own self-righteousness, your own ego, your own selfishness to him and ask him to forgive you. That will help you a whole lot when you're talking to the person that you're trying to reconcile with that you don't want to let the sun go down on that, you know, that anger, that fight with them. But we've got to take it to him and we've got to take it to him daily. If we let the sun go down on that, the devil will sow the seeds of bitterness in the dark all the time. Now, quick marriage moment, uh, and I hope those of you who have been married a while, you, you've learned this, but uh, Jen and I, we, we, we tried to apply this, and I've heard many couples try to apply this early on in their marriage where it's like, we are not going to bed until we're in a good place. And you fight, and, you, and we fought, and we fought, I'm, I'm sorry, we discussed, we discussed, and discussed. And there would be times early in our marriage where, I mean, it'd be two o'clock in the morning, and we would be going at it to the point where we're delirious. We don't even know what we're fighting about anymore. Like, we don't even know where this started. Couples, 
I, just Cody, Cody's advice here, just trying to be practical, take it to the Lord, but you need to go to sleep. You say, I love you, and we'll work this out in the morning. Because somehow, I am far more reasonable after eight hours of sleep. And I, I think many people are. And so sometimes you, you get yourself down a track, you're so far away, and you go, well, we're not supposed to let the sun go down. Look, the sun went down seven hours ago, okay? All right, we're way past this. So let's go to bed and wait till the sun comes up and things will be brighter tomorrow. Sometimes you just need to, to say that to each other. But the goal is, yes, we reconcile with one another, okay? So you gotta deal with it daily. Deal with it daily with the Lord. Confess your sins to him. Confess your sins to one another. Deal with it daily. That's the point because if you don't, it will conceive an intent to kill. Okay, second, anger is dangerous because it obstructs everyone's worship. It obstructs everyone's worship. Jesus goes from this uh, personal aspect of anger to this interpersonal, relational aspect of how anger hurts other people. Specifically, he's going to talk about how it hurts brothers and sisters. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He's specifically talking about going to worship. He wants his children to get along and come together to worship him. Now I've got to give you the picture here because I think this is really profound to the interpretation of, of this passage. Okay, remember that worship happened at the temple. Where was the temple? Okay, the temple is, was in Jerusalem. Okay, the temple's in Jerusalem. It was the, it was, that was the only place that you brought sacrifices. And so the picture here is Cody is going to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. People would come from all over Israel. And Cody is toting a goat up to you know, Jerusalem, up the steps, and I realize that my brother or sister has something against me. Jesus says, stop, drop, and roll. You know, Stop where you are, drop the goat, roll right out, and go reconcile. Go reconcile with your brother or sister. Now, where do you go? I don't know. And this is why I think this is profound, because... The way that Jesus phrases this, that person isn't at worship. That person is so angry with me that they've decided to stay at home, that they haven't come to worship, that they feel like they can't go with a clean and clear conscience and worship the Lord because of some way that I have offended them. So they're not even going to worship. And so Jesus says, if you're going to worship, because you think that you're self-righteous, but somebody has something to get you, drop what you have and go. go. Go be reconciled to them. Go find them. Why? Because he wants us to all come and worship together. N notice, who, is the who should take the initiative in that role? It's the person who's done the offending. Now, word to those of you who feel offended I think the principle here is be reconciled, initiate. I don't think if you've been offended that you can just be passive and sit and go, I've been waiting for them for years. They need to come and apologize to me. 
maybe you should take the initiative because sometimes maybe they don't even know that they offended you. So you should go to them to be reconciled so that we can all come together to worship. Now let me give you some quick warning signs to recognize a relationship that's on the rocks. Because this is important between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm gonna list these quickly, but first, there's a coolness or a coldness to the relationship. This is where I told you it takes not only a self-awareness but a sensitivity to others. Second, I found these from a pastor, you get irritated with them more easily than if someone else did the same thing that they did, maybe even yourself. You feel like you have the liberty to do this, but somebody else does it, and you get angry with them. You have a different standard for someone else. Third, you hear about that person's trouble, and it brings you a bit of joy. You kind of like that they failed at something. This is, these are signs that your relationship is on the rocks. Uh, fourth, that you intentionally avoid the person. I think that's obvious. Uh, then you pass along ne- a negative perspective to rally people around you. You begin to get people on your side. You talk bad about them and tell them how your story is the right story. You know, there's no other side of that story. It's just one. It's just your perspective. And then obviously, finally, you no longer speak to that person. Uh, Christian, it is not okay for these things to be going on amongst us as believers. Avoidance is not the answer. The answer is reconciliation. That's the answer. And so we've got to attempt to initiate reconciliation so everyone is free to worship. Attempt to initiate reconciliation so everyone is free to worship. Now, I specifically put the word attempt in there because you can only control what you can control. You cannot control whether somebody receives reconciliation. You can attempt it, you can initiate it, but I know that you cannot control their feelings, you cannot control their response. But as a Christian, remember, Christ initiated reconciliation with us. He doesn't control us, but he offers it. And it's available to all who accept it. And so we need to attempt to reconciliate, uh, reconcile with others. Uh, Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and uh, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? What's the model? As God in Christ forgave you. That's the model for how we initiate reconciliation. So how do we do that? I'll give you some very quick, quick steps. Three things. First, own what you can own. Own what you can own. There's probably something that you can own and say, okay, I own that. I shouldn't have done that. I could have done this. Own what you can own and apologize where you can. Okay. Second, apologize and ask for forgiveness. Apologize and ask for forgiveness. And I already know, I feel it in your brains because I did this when I was studying. You're thinking, but Cody, hold on, no buts, all right? No buts. And then third, offer to make changes. Offer to make changes. Say, next time, would it be better if I? 
you know, next time, can I do this? Or can I, is there something I can do to make it right? Now, if you are a person who is coming and someone is asking for your forgiveness, here's what that means. When you, when you offer forgiveness and what forgiveness essentially means, I know, I know I'm going over here, but this is important. When you offer forgiveness, you are giving up the right to be repaid. You're giving up the right to be repaid. You're forgiving their debt. You're saying, you do not have to, to pay me, obviously, financially. You don't have to grovel. You don't have to, you, that's what forgiveness means. You are relieving them of the debt to you. And so here's, if you give someone forgiveness, that means you won't hold it over their head and you won't shop it behind their back. You're not gonna hold it over their head and you're not gonna shop it behind their back. You're not gonna bring it up anymore. That's what forgiveness means. And you're actually gonna pray for them and speak positively about them. Why? Because that's what you'd want somebody to do for you. And we are supposed to forgive the way that Christ has forgiven us. That's, that's the model. And we must be reconciled. You will never be at, at total peace with God until we're at peace with one another. And that, that's what he wants. But all you can do is attempt. I get it. You can't control everything. And some people may be asking completely unreasonable things when you offer to help. And I'm not saying that you make yourself a doormat. I'm not saying that you do everything. I'm not, my, you've got to approach this in prayer and discernment. But this is the pattern. This is, this is the model. Okay? And then finally, anger is dangerous because it undermines our witness. It undermines our witness. Jesus changes the setting. He goes from the temple where brothers and sisters relate, he goes now to these civil affairs, how we are called to be salt and light in our world. Verses 25, 26, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. He's accused, somebody is accused of something. He says, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. Picture Jesus is giving here is of a debtor's prison. There was a specific thing called a debtor's prison. If you owed somebody money and you did not pay them back, they could put you into a debtor's prison, but you could not get out to go and look for the money that you owed them. So you would be stuck there until you paid the last penny, and your only hope was that your friend or family member came along and paid your debt for you, which is obviously what Christ has done for us. But his point here is reconcile quickly. Settle those matters urgently and quickly. Why? Because we not only want to ourselves not experience the danger of anger, but folks, as believers, we carry the reputation of Christ. And that's something that we need to consider in our civil affairs is what impression are we giving others of Jesus? You see, because if we settle matters quickly, if, if we uh, go and try to reconcile, that's going to take humility that, that's going to take grace. That's going to take kindness. And I think that's what Jesus wants us to show the world in order to be his salt and light. So the only way to do that is to set aside your own stubbornness so others may see the grace of God. I read a quote that said, anger puts us in the danger zone and pride is what keeps us there. Anger puts us in the danger zone. Pride keeps us there. That's why we've got to set aside our stubbornness. 
try as, as best we can in the power of the Holy Spirit to reconcile, to settle these matters quickly. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 says, strive for peace with Christians or with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. Notice who he's talking about here. And for the holiness without which no one, not believers, no one in this world will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, meaning that we can be grace givers to those even who aren't believers. And that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. How are you a conduit of God's grace? We can't dig our heels in because God didn't dig his heels in on us. He settled matters quickly with us by sending his one and only son to pay the penalty for our sin. He reconciled, initiated. He, was, he made us now ambassadors for reconciliation because he doesn't want us to be in the danger zone of anger. He wants us to be salt and light that represent him. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are slow to anger. How angry you could be with me because of my sin, but you're slow to anger. You're abounding in love, Lord God. You want us to represent that character in our relationships. You don't want that poison of anger to simmer in our hearts and end up decaying us from the inside out. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd have your way in our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would search us, that you would see if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way that is everlasting. And that way is reconciliation, forgiving one another as you have forgiven us. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.